The reading of the word is poem Psalm 120 on the, on the top of page 10 and behind me. In my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from the deceitful tongue, which shall be given to you, and what more shall be done to you, your deceitful tongue. A warrior's sharp arrows with glowing coals of the broom tree. Woe to me that I sojourn into Meshech, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. Too long I've had my dwelling among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. The word of the Lord. to you. Colin is a good friend and um, is a Dallas native. Uh, he's worked for the last 15 years, I guess, at uh, New St. Peter's in Dallas. He's been the associate pastor there and then the senior pastor for the last uh, eight years, 10 years or so, and um, is, uh, has been working for RUF as the committee chair of our presbytery um, in a volunteer capacity. And um, when, uh, when he sensed a change in call of his ministry, um, it was about the same time I was sensing a similar call to come here, and Colin has been hired as the area coordinator for uh, what's now Texas, Oklahoma, and Arkansas. And so um, Colin was the, area, was the campus minister at Mercer uh, way back in the day, and um, has loved RUF for a long time, and uh, so thankful he's here and uh, is going to bring the word to us this afternoon. So thanks, Colin. Thank you. Well, good afternoon to you. And um, I feel like I should say good morning. So my, my church clock is not quite on the afternoon, but I'm excited to get to be with you guys today. Um, as Andy described, I have known Andy and uh, Brian Davis and also Wade Jewett for some years now through the campus ministry committee of our presbytery and have found those guys to be good friends to me and have enjoyed them. In fact, when, when Andy called me last fall um, as he was calling the various presbytery committee chairs to inform them that change was afoot, that he was accepting a new call to come on staff here at this church uh, I think the first words out of my mouth to Andy were, I think I want your job. <laughs> and uh, what they should have been was, Andy, don't do that. We need you. You do such a wonderful job as area coordinator. And, and he did. And so I'm excited to get to follow in his footsteps in, um, in that role. Um, but uh, you must be a, a great blessing of a congregation for him to accept a call out of that role with RUF and into the local church. I know he's excited to get to serve you and serve alongside Brian um, before you. So for you kids who are still among us here, I, I understand that uh, you like to, to hear for a few things to listen for in the sermon. And so I'll give you three things to listen for as we go along through Psalm 120 here. And so the three things for you kids are, are these three words. Lies war and home lies war and home it's a frightening psalm definitely it is the the song uh, the songs of ascent or ascents in the plural even are 
Psalm 120 through 134, and you will be working your way through some of those during the summer. There are 15 of them consecutively, and they are essentially what we would call a playlist, a playlist of songs, a traveling playlist, a playlist for the road. These are for the Israelites as they traveled up to Jerusalem geographically. And as they did so, they were actually traveling up theologically or spiritually up to the presence of God. And I would suggest to you that these songs of ascent or ascents are an Old Testament equivalent of the New Testament one another statements. Maybe you are familiar with those in the New Testament. Throughout the New Testament letters especially, you hear love one another or forgive one another or bear with one another. Exhortations to the community of Christians in their life together. These songs of ascents are an Old Testament equivalent of that as it were. And they are ascents, plural, because there were multiple times that the Israelites would ascend up to Jerusalem during the year. Three times, in fact, that they did so formally. In the springtime, they ascended up to Jerusalem, Jerusalem being geographically the highest place in Israel. They would ascend up to Jerusalem for Passover in order to remember God's rescue of their forefathers from Egypt. A few weeks later in the summertime, in the early summertime, they would ascend once again up to Jerusalem for Pentecost to renew their, their covenant commitments before God. And in the fall, they would ascend once again up to Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles where they gave thanks to God for all that he had provided for them. So three times per year, they would ascend up to Jerusalem, ascending up to the presence of God, and as they did, they did it with one another in the midst of their disagreements, in the midst of their hurts, in the midst of their disappointments among one another. And in between these ascents to Jerusalem, they lived with one another in the ordinary days of discipleship, always looking up in faith to what God had for them beyond this broken world. And the playlist that they sang with one another begins with Psalm 120. And you heard it moments ago read to you, and if you would allow me, I'd like to pray, and then we'll jump into it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we, we come before you with your words before us, and we ask that you would bless us with them. Would you speak by your spirit through them to us? And make us new. Would you, in fact, make us homesick looking towards what you offer to us in the gospel and giving us hope in it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So have you ever been homesick before? I imagine that you have. We all have been homesick at some point along the way in our lives, however long or short perhaps it might be. I can remember when I was probably six or seven years old and my Parents were leaving town. I grew up in Dallas. My parents were leaving town for the weekend, and my older siblings were occupied in other ways. And so my dad drove me across to the other side of town to my grandparents' house to leave me there. They were his parents, and of course I knew them well. I'd spent plenty of time with my grandparents. I knew that they loved me. And we got to their house, and they were taking an afternoon nap. So they weren't up to greet me, and my dad left me in their living room, and he said, Grandma and Grandpa will wake up soon, and 
they'll come out and they'll welcome you and mom and I'll be back on Sunday afternoon. And he left. And I remember looking out the window and watching him drive away and thinking, ah, I really just wish I was at home. About a decade later, I remember my parents driving me to college in Tennessee and I'm the youngest of four. So they had done this three times before, but I had not. I was new to the college drop-off scene. And they took me and, and drove me to Nashville, Tennessee, and they helped me to haul my stuff into the dorm room. And as soon as they had put the last box down, I think it was 30 minutes after we got out of the car, my dad said, we'll see you at Thanksgiving, and they were gone. <laughs> and I remember thinking, golly, that sound seems kind of an abrupt departure. Three months till I see them again. You know, when you're homesick, there's a sense that there's something troubling. It's not your place. It's not your bed. It's not your door. It's not your surroundings to which you're accustomed. And so you want to set your gaze far away to where familiarity can actually be found. That's what it is to be homesick. And these childhood experiences foreshadow, I think, what Christians should feel more and more as they grow older in this life. This playlist of psalms begins with a song of a believer who is far away from Jerusalem. Not just far away geographically, but far away in community. The people that this person is accustomed to being with, perhaps, are nowhere to be found. And uh, the others that they expect to be around are not there to bless them. And so this one is feeling the homesickness. This playlist begins with homesickness. And it's a poetic picture of living life as exiles in a broken world, far away from where we know that we actually belong. The trials and the, the tribulations and the frustrations of life, sometimes as dramatic as divorce and death, often as ordinary as disputes and disappointments, show us that we are not where we belong. That we should long for something more, that we should long to ascend, to go up, to go back to where we actually do belong. And we share that longing with one another. The homesickness here shows itself with the psalmist first acknowledging trouble. It begins... In my distress. Now that's not unusual if you know the Psalms. If you've read through the Psalms somewhat, you know that many of the Psalms, in fact, I think I'm right in saying that about a third of the Psalms are Psalms of lament, Psalms of distress or sorrow. But this very short Psalm not only begins with distress, it ends with war. They are for war period, amen. That's the end of it. I mean, this is not a happy psalm. This is not one of your favorite psalms, probably. If you've memorized a psalm or two or five or 20, I'm willing to bet this is not one of them. I mean, this psalm starts bad and it ends bad. It's short and there's no real resolution in the middle. It's just kind of a, a bummer. So what's the trouble? Well, the trouble is lies. Verse 2. Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. Now, we don't know who wrote this 
psalm, and we don't know really anything about the circumstances of the originating thoughts that turned pen to paper to write these words. There are some hints perhaps in a moment, but what we do know is that the Hebrews placed this song at the beginning of their playlist. And it begins with homesickness in this song. And in Psalm 121, they lift their eyes to the hills for help. In Psalm 122, they joyfully arrive at the temple. And the rest of the way, the the psalmists wrestle with the realities of pilgrim life. And they live in a broken world full of lies. Lies that come from outside of the community of one another, often. Eugene Peterson wrote a book about these psalms. I have it here, in fact. It's called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, Discipleship in an Instant Society. It's a, it's a terrific book. It's basically a commentary on these songs of ascent. And there he writes this about this passage. He says, Deliver me from the liars, God. They smile so sweetly but lie through their teeth. Rescue me from the lies of advertisers who claim to know what I need and what I desire. From the lies of entertainers who promise a cheap way to joy. From the lies of politicians who pretend to instruct me in power and morality. From the lies of psychologists who offer to shape my behavior and my morals so that I will live long, happily, and successfully from the lies of religionists who heal the wounds of this people lightly, from the lies of moralists who suggest that I'm the captain of my fate, and from the lies of, this one kind of hurts, pastors who abandon the commandment of God and hold to the traditions of men. Rescue me from the person who tells me of life but omits Christ, who is wise in the ways of the world but ignores the movement of the Spirit. Rescue me, Lord, from these lies. Now we live, of course, in a world of lies. And the worst kind of lies are those that take the truth and spin it to omit God himself from the picture. The news today is full of headlines about the controversial and and touchy topics of abortion and gender dysphoria. And I want to be careful as I even, even bring those subjects up because they're, they're very complex troubles. Unexpected pregnancy has always posed a challenge to people, no matter what their circumstances are. And in this fallen world, our biology and our psychology are profoundly affected by the fall, making issues of gender complex for some people. But in this country for 50 years now we have been sold a lie that the biological product of conception is something less than the image of God and that those who endure abortion or in enable abortion don't pay any price beyond the dollar amount fee that they do to pay for the procedure and that is not the price of it it is a staggering price that people pay in the depth of their soul emotionally psychologically, spiritually, physically even. And we've been told the lie that there's no divinely designed distinction between male and female, as if God himself had not created these things. These lies should provoke your homesickness. 
Such lies, such spinning of the truth to omit God himself are constantly coming from the outside of the community of, of one another's. But sometimes the, the most painful are the lies that come from inside of that community, actually. John Bunyan was the author of Pilgrim's Progress, a, a pastor, a preacher in England hundreds of years ago. And in 1674, he was riding his horse to church to preach for the worship service. And he came across a, a young woman in her 20s named Agnes Beaumont who was waiting for her ride that morning. Now, Bunyan was a married man, 40-some years old. He had been in prison and out of prison for his preaching already at this point in his life. And Agnes Beaumont, he knew, was going to that church to attend the worship service that day. And she was waiting for her ride. Her neighbor, John Wilson, who typically would pick her up along with his family and take her to church with them, was not there on this particular morning. The church was eight miles away, and so... Bunyan offered to give her a ride, and she climbed on the back of his horse, and they began to head towards the church. Now, he knew that this was somewhat risky, given the atmosphere of the day. Some saw her riding on the back of his horse with him, and they began to whisper and to suggest that perhaps there was a relationship there that ought not to be. Just a few days later, Agnes Beaumont's father died. She lived with him. And a rumor began to spread that she had perhaps initiated his death, caused his death, so that she could run off with the older preacher, John Bunyan. And those rumors, those lies, plagued her for decades. She wouldn't marry until she was 50-some years old, and those rumors, those lies, would plague John Bunyan for the rest of his life. The most frequently expressed one one another statement in the New Testament. Do you know what that is? Love one another. Sixteen times throughout the New Testament, Jesus and Peter and John and Paul especially repeat it to us again and again and again. Love one another. Because that which is not done well requires frequent reminders, as does that which is most important. This world does not want you to acknowledge the lies because it doesn't want you to feel homesick. This world wants to be your home, but it's not your home. So your homesickness should force you to acknowledge trouble. And with that, it should make you feel out of place as well. That's where the psalmist goes here. The trouble of the surrounding lies makes it obvious that the psalmist is out of place. Verse 5 Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshech, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. Now, Meshech and Kedar are words or place names or people names, people group names, that show up elsewhere in Scripture. And unless you know your Bible amazingly well, you may not know where those are, or maybe you haven't even heard them before or don't remember reading them. Meshech refers probably, to a people group living in the grasslands of northern Turkey or even Asia. And Kedar is referring to a people group who are the distant relatives of Israel. These were the descendants, it's thought, of Ishmael, the illegitimate son of Abraham, who was referred to as, back in Genesis, a wild donkey of a man. That's a way to describe somebody, isn't it? You know, that's trouble, 
if someone's described as a wild donkey of a man, and that was Ishmael. And what the author of this song is doing is using these terms in a poetic way, using figurative names for the alien company in which he resides. One commentator puts it in this way. He says, as foreign as the remotest peoples, as implacable as his wild kinsmen. These are the kinds of people that this psalmist is dwelling among, apparently. Now, I don't know if the writer was actually living among such people, possibly living in exile in Babylon. That could be where this was being written. Maybe the writer was living among Israelites who um, had fallen so far from their covenant commitments to God that their lives looked like wild donkeys, perhaps, and there was just no difference between them and the rest of the people around them. And often Christians face that kind of trouble, don't we, in our own community? But this writer is homesick. His heart feels out of place. And he explains why. Verse 6, Too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. Now, Eugene Peterson in this book, he describes it this way, translates it this way. He says, my whole life I have lived camping among quarreling neighbors. Do you ever feel like that? I mean, maybe your neighbors on your street are peaceable people, and maybe they're even friends of yours, perhaps, but you don't have to go much farther than the headlines of the day just to, to begin to get a sense of living among quarreling neighbors in this broken world. I've, I've read that one of the earliest known historical records is a Sumerian stone tablet from Babylon dated about 3,000 B.C., 3,000 years before the birth of Christ. And the picture that's depicted on this stone tablet is this. It's a gang of soldiers with helmets and shields and swords engaging in battle with another gang of soldiers with helmets and shields and swords because war has been our way since the earliest of ages historians collect data on such things of course and they suggest that of the last 3,400 years of human history of the last 3,400 years only 268 of those years have been without war somewhere in the world only 8% of the timeline of world history has been without war. In the 20th century alone, of course, there were more than 108 million people killed in wars in the, in the 1900s. The death toll of World War II was so great, follow me on this, the death toll of World War II was so great that the resulting reduced birth rate, it suggested, was more than 20 million. That is, as a result of all those who, who died in the war, those who were consequently not born were more than 20 million people. U.S. News and World Report studied the, the 20 years following World War II and explained that during just those 20 years after World War II, there were at least 12 other wars, 39 political assassinations, 48 personal revolts, 74 rebellions for independence, and 1,200 social revolutions, political, economic, racial, or religious. And that doesn't even count the most recent 50 years that most of us know. That's the way of our world. 
We sojourn in Meshach. We dwell among the tents of Kedar, and we should feel out of place. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not a pessimist. Not most days. I mean, you ask my wife, she'll tell me there are some days. But most days I'm not. I mean, there are hints of hope in this world. Both scripture and experience assure us that the kingdom of God has come. And both scripture and experience assure us that the kingdom of God is coming and that it will yet come in its fullness. That's what Christians work for as we live with one another and as we live in this world. That's what we work for, to see the kingdom of God come. Saying no to ungodliness, turning away from temptation, abandoning the idols that we have shaped in our own images, and there are many of those, are there not? Every time you see those sorts of things happening in one another, the kingdom of God has come. There are hints of hope. And yet, we are completely out of place in this broken world. If the Holy Spirit is at work, you should look around and see where you are and say, woe to me that I sojourn in this place. I don't belong here. These aren't my people in this world. But the redemptive value of homesickness is very important, and it's this. It leaves you looking towards home. It leaves you looking towards home. And that is, oddly, what the psalmist does at the very beginning of the psalm. Look at verse 1. In my distress, I called to the Lord. Now this is a very troubled psalm, but the distress causes the writer to look to the one to whom he belongs. I called to the Lord. It's a song of ascent. His eyes are up and looking towards home at a minimum for us has to include the anticipation that the Lord God will make all things right one day. Look at verses 3 and 4. Those are perplexing, aren't they? What shall be given to you and what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? A warrior's sharp arrows with glowing coals of the broom tree. Now, there are three sections to this little bitty psalm here. You might suggest verses 1 and 2 are about the distress and the prayer and the verses uh, 5 and 6 and 7 are about woe and war. But in between, there's really not any good resolution for us. We're just kind of left hanging. But right in the middle, in those middle couple of verses, there is some very significant hope. It's a very strange statement The poet is actually addressing the deceitful tongue. The poet is addressing a character in the the psalm. Not a certain person, I think, but rather the lies and the wrongs and the wars of this world. And the arrows and the coals are an indication of judgment. The psalmist is calling down judgment on the deceitful tongue. Now, if if you're a skeptic of Christianity, you don't consider yourself perhaps to be a believer in Jesus and in the gospel, as we Christians call it. You might read something like this and think, well, this is kind of strange. I mean, it seems kind of mean. Do Christians really find hope in, in judgment? And the answer to that is absolutely yes. 
without a doubt, we find great hope in judgment. I mean, if you are skeptical of the gospel, then you need to recognize that, that all you need to be as a human being to be homesick too. You also are homesick. You long for wrongs to be righted. You long for the deceitful tongue to be buried. But we're all liars, you might say. Ought we all not to be buried in the same way? Yes, of course. But we have a Redeemer. And they lied about him too. Verses 3 and 4, as odd as they are in the middle of this bummer of a psalm, actually look toward home. Our hearts and our souls long to go up. Our hearts and our souls long to ascend, to sing the playlist of the songs of ascent. Because we don't belong here. And so we should be homesick. Yet while we're here, we do belong with one another for the good of one another. For the good, in fact, of all this world who need to see that despite the lies that they have believed, they are not at home here either. So as you take the bread and the cup of communion this afternoon together, you do it with one another. You do it side by side elbow to elbow, united to Jesus, even if you may at times not be united in heart with one another. Eat the bread and drink the wine and feel the pain of homesickness with one another and then with one another look up towards home. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Father in heaven, we give you thanks that you have given us even such a distressing short song that you have, by the work of your spirit, inspired it for our good, that you would use it to turn our attention to you, that you would use it to turn our eyes toward home. Help us to believe that you are the one who is at work to draw us to you and restore us in wholeness. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.